welcome back to the Hi-Fi Podcast with Darren and Duncan. I'm Duncan. I'm Darren. This week, we've got an interesting podcast topic. It's entitled, Duncan's Next Half-Day Speaker Project. Yeah, the last one you built in 13 days, so this one you're going to build in half a day. I thought it was like 54 days or something <laughs> like that. So this is like... Yeah, he, he has these uh, speakers at home that he built in... Roughly, it was two days. One actual. or two, one and a half day. Yeah, one or two days. I, I still remember the day he sent me a, f- a photo uh, on an, on my phone, and and he was just like, "I built these speakers," and I'm like, "The speaker cabinets?" He's like, "No, I built the speakers. Like I installed the drivers." I was like, "Oh, so now you have to work on the crossover?" He's like, "No, crossover's done. I'm listening." That's right. I'm listening to him. They're breaking in. I just could not believe it. This guy's so quick. So. uh so these speakers turned out amazing, and now Duncan is uh, thinking about starting a new iteration of this speaker. Okay, so let's let's start in with what's been going on with us lately, because um, you got a chance to come by yesterday and hear what's going on with, with my system that features these speakers. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Would you say? I mean, I think you. I think I remember you saying this yesterday. But would you say that it was clear to see the advancement that had been made to mm-hmm. the system since the last time you had been there? Mm-hmm. And um, again, no changes to the speakers. So it's it's kind of bringing it back to the speakers. It's um, it's been amazing to see them keep pace with every single thing that I do to the system. Yeah, and there's a. Uh... There's like some things about like some aspects of the speaker that um, is really unique, uh, and we'll talk about a little. We'll bit We'll dive about into, that. I yeah. guess, try to figure out like what makes them a little bit magical. Um, but but in that regard, what you know, what do you think about uh, the desktop system and where it's where it's? Yeah, it's now? the ultimate desktop system. It's just these are these speakers verge on almost like micro monitor. Mm-hmm. very know? small yeah so uh the so the imaging is all is is very what you'd expect out of a mini monitor or a micro monitor um but you know a completely free of the speakers and a kind of a wraparound sound stage with a great center image and great depth too um but i'd say more than anything that that's something i expect from a great desktop desktop system and it's something that i've heard with you know p3s even on the same desks where you've had really great imaging and you know you get that magic but what i'm so impressed with is the top to bottom coherency Hmm. and we'll get a little bit more into why Mm -hmm. i'm so impressed with it um why the design kind of um you wouldn't think it would bring that to the table as possibly its greatest strength. Yeah. Um, and so we'll, we'll describe why that is. Yeah. The, kind of an enigma, this kind of situation. Um, cool. But yeah, I just wanted to get you on record again, saying my system was better than ever. Cause I always say it's, it is, it's better than it ever. is better than ever. <laughs> it's it crazy. is. You're making progress. I know. Yeah. When you wouldn't <laughs> even think that progress would be possible, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, all right, well, let's get into a little bit more of what's been going on with you lately in this last week. I have been doing, I've been very busy developing products for PS Audio. Um, and 
I've been working on a new, um, it's a, uh, it's an audio circuit that I'm, I'm using a, an integrated op amp on, and I've been, uh, looking into like different, different op amps and, and something interesting, interesting happened is that I, uh, actually by mistake, put the wrong op amp in there to begin with. Hmm. Uh, and that op amp had dramatically different characteristics than the op amp I meant to put in. Okay. And the reason why there was a, a slip up is because it's an older op amp that's been around for quite a while. And there was just like one, uh, designator after the, the, the model number. Hmm. And that designator, they decided to put out like a new version of the op amp sometime at some time. And, and that has completely different characteristics as the original, Mm. but yet it's the same model number (laughs) or part number. I should say. You gotta love that. Uh, except the designator after it's like dash D yeah, or dash, dash MX. X. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, just a slight deviation. And I didn't realize, I mean, very rarely you see where the, that is the case and then it's completely different part. Yeah. Uh, so, so it was just a very interesting, um, experience to, to first have the op amp that I didn't mean to put in and then, and then transition into the, the op amp that I, uh, meant to to put in and um you know yeah it, it just kind of supports the fact that what's the difference between the two like what's the main difference between the two is the um basically the loop gain versus frequency that's available hmm. and how you know and i've said this on this podcast before one of the most important aspects to applying feedback correctly is that you have constant loop gain versus frequency across the audio bandwidth. Mm -hmm. That means you have flat feedback applied versus frequency. Right. Linear. Um, Yeah. yeah, And that's, it's a very important aspect to uh, designing amplifiers um, that are uh, transparent. And what I, what I noticed between the two uh, is that the, op amp that was heavily compensated that just basically had uh roughly like 100 hertz of open loop bandwidth Mm. uh that it was a lot more forward sounding Mm. and then with the op amp that had uh a wider open loop bandwidth uh it just became a lot more relaxed Mm. and and uh less kind of glare less glare on on everything that gave you some um, some um, uh, positive reinforcement about your own explorations in discrete op amps, and you're designing yeah. your own. You're on your second one now, mm-hmm. um, and the and the and your your kind of stated philosophy is is to get the widest open loop bandwidth to start mm-hmm. with, and then go from there with great decisions like you know, trying to be completely linear in the feedback across frequency and that kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah, precisely. So, um, and then I had, uh, had a kind of a more common experience, which is that when I make these changes, a lot of times I'll, I'll change, I'll, I'll grab a new board 
and I'll replace that part on a new board and keep the old board so that I can go back and forth. Mm. I'm actually holding the old board in oh, my hand okay. right now. Yep. And what's interesting about that is that you can fall into a little trap. And that is, is that I put on, you know, uh, 50 hours or so on the old board. And then I go and put a brand new spanking board in there and it's not broken in. Yeah. Right. You know, and the capacitors and the circuitry has, uh, essentially, you know, zero hours on it. And, uh, you have to make sure you, you stick, stick with it and you break it in and have the same amount of hours on both. Yeah. It's yeah, easy as a sure. designer just to say, oh, well, it doesn't matter. Like, like, you know, I'm just going to assess it as is. And, yeah. But I've learned the hard way that uh, that break-in is, is a very serious uh, matter and that you can actually fall into a trap with it. And if you're doing this very thing where you're changing a part and you're putting a board that has zero hours on it, you, uh, you can, you know, th- at first think that, well, like this change is bad you know it's not as good as the other even though maybe eventually that board will pull ahead of the other one in sonic quality i think it's a perspective that you get that a lot of people don't because i think most most products that you're going to buy in the audiophile industry are going to have some hours on them they're never going to be like zero 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 you know what i mean Mm -hmm. um there's testing but most companies also believe in burn-in and mm-hmm. so they'll do 24 hours or 48 hours or something. So like you get this perspective of spanking new. And not been. just for, not just for audio quality too. They, they're doing burn in to catch lemons as well. Oh, that's good. Just because point. the first 24 hours is most likely when you're going to get something. Up In there. any electronic part or any, any electronic circuits, like it's either breaks at the beginning or it never breaks. Right. Yeah, unless it gets damaged in shipping or there's some sort of design or error, issue, design or, problem. Anyway. Yeah, but for the most part, yeah, interesting. Yeah, that's interesting perspective. I love when so, you get to share that. Yeah. Anyways, that's what's going on with yeah. me. And uh, what about you? Uh, this week. Oh, nothing. Nothing's going on with you this nothing week. Nothing right? at all is going on with me. <laughs> lots is going on with I me. I know lots of it. Lots always is always going, going on. on. So I got my fuse in the mail. You know, the weird thing is that I had these fuse issues one evening and then the following morning. And then since then, absolutely nothing. I had a whole bag full of these ceramic caps or ceramic uh, fuses that are all 2.5. And I mentioned that I up a little, little bit overrated my aftermarket fuse, my nice one, to 3.15. And... um I keep using these 2.5s and nothing's blowing. So the the new one came in the mail, the nice synergistic. I actually got a purple this time uh, to the some on the recommendation of some of the audience or the listening audience here. What and is that? What is what is purple? Just like the way that synergistic research dele- or you know differentiates their fuses. But what color. what level would that be? Top top okay best new. It's new. It's out this year or something. Is the purple? Yeah, brand new. Um, everybody agrees that purple is better than the orange. Everybody, uh, a lot of opinion out there says the orange kind of goes through a typical burn-in characteristic of like it really needs 300 hours. It kind of goes back and forth. But the purple is great out of the box. 
that's kind of an interesting listening impression from folks. I I must say I haven't heard much change, but I did leave the amp on all night um, to get it to get it cooking. And man, the thing sounded so good. <laughs> sounds so good. And so I just popped it in before you came over yesterday. And so yeah, that was the system. And yeah, again, like I mentioned, the things I I noticed that I missed from the system. One of the interesting things about uh, the audio file hobby is is the amount of adjustment that we make as listeners to a new sound, and we might like something right away, and then it kind of starts bothering us over time. We might not be that impressed by something initially, and then in its context and over time it kind of shows itself to be what we want to live with um all kinds of stuff like that you know so you you uh it's a great opportunity when you get something yanked out of the system that makes an appreciable difference um but it's also interesting to notice that in a, a few days i grew to be more fond of the sound that I was hearing without the nice fuse. I wouldn't say that anything changed. I could still, I could still remember how I felt about how things sounded when the fuse was in. So I'm, I'm still feeling the loss, but I'm also thinking, man, even with, even with the ceramic fuse like this, this system's so killer. It's so killer. Uh, that, you know, that, kind of came up after a day or two or maybe just a day of get of just steady listening and i don't think you know it's a burn in the ceramic fuse probably not it's just i think it's just my my expectations and, and emotions settling and that kind of thing so yeah as was, was having fun listening to music but just knowing in the back of my mind that something a little bit was missing and um it was really wonderful to pop the purple fuse in and hear it come back right away. And, um, and what that is, is just this, like, it's, it's, this almost, it's like difficult to describe, but it's like an energy. It's like this vivaciousness, um, that is back and the wraparound thing is more wraparound. And that's kind of mostly it. Um, other than just like, like wow this system hasn't sounded better than that than it like it just sounds better than ever um i think wrapped into that are a few observations i could have made as as to what the purple maybe could do better than the orange but i didn't set up any kind of um situation where i'm going back and forth i'm still a little apprehensive about shutting off the amp and waiting a period of time, swapping the fuse and turning it back on just because I'm a little gun shy. Mm-hmm. So, um, that's where I'm at. It's, it's just that those were the two things I'd say that stuck out the most was this vividness and this, and more of a wraparound and, and the soundstage grew a bit. So, um, that's my experience. My amp has no filter on the IEC. It's kind of a, it's a straightforward, um, kind of nothing unnecessary you know included kind of design it's the lfj from first watt and um so it really responds to power cables and fuses i find the amp my amp more than other amps that i've heard so um yeah i'm really really happy the system is so good and i'm happy until i blow another fuse and then i'll be unhappy and then i'll have to spend more 
stinking money. Um, all right, so uh, you came over. That was great. Uh, got you hearing that. What else? At the music room, I, I'm Duncan. I'm I work for the music room, which gives me all the perspective that I have in terms of like having listened to thousands of pieces of gear over the you know the last four or five years and. Now I'm doing a lot of um, writing and that kind of thing, but and and listening and reviewing and setting up, and I'm kind of in charge of these listening rooms that we've uh, constructed at the music room. So the main listening room is just really, really coming along. And um, I think a couple episodes ago, I mentioned that I set up a pair of uh, Harbeth 40.3 XD speakers in there. Um, unfortunately, Darren, you missed your opportunity to go listen to those because I have now moved them out of the system and back in mm. boxes and they're back up for sale as, as open box, open box demos, by the way, uh, all that's all the stuff that I play with that I ended up putting back into the system at TMR. So I'm, I'll open stuff for, for videos and that kind of thing. Those show up on our specials, uh, page. So you go to our website, tmraudio.com on the main menu is specials and you can click on there and that you can find the open box and demo stuff. And it's all brand new. I, I handle stuff with kid gloves, of course, and um, treat it well. And then you usually get a, a significant break off MSRP. But because we're dealers for all this stuff, you actually uh, still get the warranty. So it's a great deal. So the Harbests are going up there. So this week I actually unraveled or uh, unboxed, unraveled, unboxed two pairs of speakers and set them up for a demo, which is kind of fun. Although you and I kind of share this philosophy where there's there's really just one ideal spot for a pair of speakers in a room. And so the idea of setting up two concurrently or at the same time mm-hmm. in the same room is kind of like, well, it's a compromise. You're you're not giving one pair the, you know, the best footing or whatever. Yeah, um, and then you can also have interactions between them too. Yeah, and and there's people who believe that any drivers in a, in a room with a stereo system are going to sympathetically vibrate with sound and take energy out of the room. Now I would say that that's going to be so negligible and they're yeah. going to act like some, you know, limp membrane mass, uh, bass trap that activates slowly and, and, and unactivates slowly. So it'll like smear time, some time stuff. I don't know. I think that's, that's splitting hairs pretty good. Um, but I do believe that one pair is going to be disadvantaged relative to the other pair so, somewhat. Um, that said, the speakers that I set up were Canton Reference 5K and a pair of Dolly Epicon 6. So both of these are not the top from each company, uh, Dolly Danish Audio Loudspeaker Industries, I think is what it's called. And, um, and the other one being Canton, brand from Germany. Um, both are not the top, but they're a few steps removed from the top of the line from each speaker, uh, maker. Uh, actually the Epicon six are one step removed from the top of the line. So, uh, Epicon six are, are pretty decent investment. I think 16 K something like that. And then the Dolly are something like seven. Eh, can't quote me on that. I wish I knew those off head, but, um, I set up the Cantons first and really gave them the best positioning and then i set the dollies inside them and i think that it ended up working for both speakers because really both speakers showed off what they do really well um and we had some representatives from dolly visiting and so we we, we wanted to do was um 
show off these Epicon sixes in our new room. And they actually ended up liking those better than the, the Cantons. Um, you know, there's a 10 K difference between the two, but you know, I, what's interesting is, is the, the kind of like our opinion, the, um, me and my coworkers in the marketing department was that the Cantons were really, really amazing. Um, I think the Cantons were maybe our choice and we were kind of thinking that the Dollies weren't getting the best, um, the best, um, presentation. So, but the, the point, the point of the whole, it was a great, it was a great visit and it was a great demo. Actually gave, I gave some people goosebumps, you know, with that Leo Kotke track, uh, that you, you were playing for me. And, um, so it was a lot of fun. It just kind of shows what like cool stuff I get to do, I guess, in my day job. Um, unbox crazy expensive speakers and set them up perfectly in a really dialed in system in a room that I helped design. And Life ain't bad. Yeah, man. It's really fun. So I have to pinch myself sometimes. <laughs> so still enjoying that. Um, I brought the, the DAC home. I'm going to write about the Weiss DAC 502 and 501. They're the same circuit, really. Um, one's smaller than the other. Um, but I'm going to write about those things. So I brought this Y stack home. I've been listening to that, comparing it to my very tweaked out, uh, PS audio direct stream senior. And, um, yeah, man, that's, that's about it. Just very, as always, extremely audio centric weekend or week. Um, mm-hmm. I did get away. So I have an interesting period in my life right now for the next six weeks with the exception of five days in which I will be going to visit them. The rest of my family is doing uh, a little vacation in South Carolina. Now my wife works remotely and her parents um, built this house in South Carolina that we go visit. So it's always sitting there. So anyway, we've, we've always been talking about spending a month or something there. And, um, this year we're they're they're trying it i'm not able to to go just because i need to be at work for several important meetings and some other stuff and so it's kind of interesting living the batch life me and the dog um playing music really loud until midnight throughout <laughs> the house and on the weekends i'm just going out into the wild and going to catch fish and explore and not coming home and nice um yeah, it's going to be an interesting period, which is why I'm going to have this opportunity to uh, to build some stuff. So that's why this speaker project just landed on the docket. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so. All right, well, that's about all that's going on with me, which is to say plenty. But, you know, as always, what, what, what can I say? It's just what we do. Now it is time to get into some questions. Now, our uh, question email is hi-fi at outlook.com. Very easy to remember, and we love questions. We take questions, audio file tips, and album recommendations. And this week, um, we actually experienced plenty of um, great response to our um, recent episode where we talked about um, sort of being called to task about our uh, statements about the efficacy of audiophile network switches from one listener and uh, mentioning that we're going to buckle down and do some uh, serious AB and ABX testing um, 
didn't get a chance to do that today because we were doing a bunch of other listening. But uh, in the meantime, got a plenty of emails from folks and um, got this one email from a guy named Jason Brown and really appreciate this email, but he has a perspective on this and uh, I wanted to share because he shares a link to um, a great resource on this topic. So um, as we are continuing to evaluate the you know, the efficacy of this network switch that I'm lucky enough to be able to play around with. Um, and the one I have is the, the Q net from Nordost. And I also have the linear power supply. That's like kind of an optional upgrade from with that. So I, it's called the Q source. Um, all right. Jason's email, uh, Jason writes, <clears throat> Hello, Darren Duncan. I listened with intense interest to the second question in your response in last week's podcast. I realized that I have been compelled into looking into upgrading my own network switch. This was for the period since the um, earlier episode when you talked about your experience with the network switch. Okay, I think I'd mentioned it not last weekend, last podcast, but the podcast before as well. Looking into, for me, equates to several hours exploring and educating myself quite a bit. I think this reflects how much I am influenced by your enthusiastic opinions. Well, that's why we take it seriously. Um, And so Jason continues, Watching Amir's YouTube video has caused me to pause to reflect, though. Thank you for sharing this. The question I've been trying to answer uh, is how did I come to perceive that there is a consensus of opinion contrary to Amir's? This is the one thing I found that I'd like to share. And so uh, he's referencing uh, an audio science review uh, video that you and I watched last week, uh, aiming to debunk the idea that audiophile network switches do anything. Okay, so then Jason shares um, what is a blind test. Uh, and the um, synopsis and results from that um, through a website called Alpha Audio, so Alpha-Audio. And um, and the title of this article is Seven Switches for Streaming Audio Tested Blind. So if you type Alpha Audio, seven switches into Google, uh, you're going to find the very top result is going to be this article. So I'd recommend... Uh, looking through it. It's really great. They found some great results. Um, it's very much contrary to um, what Amir uh, was advocating uh, in his videos. And again, you know, we want to, we want to say that, um, that you should watch both. If you haven't listened to last week's podcast and you haven't checked out that video, we recommend it, but I'll continue with this email from Jason. I wrote to uh, Jap Veenstra after I first found his article and acted on the findings. So that's the the um, the writer of the article um, and the conductor of the test. Um, I thanked him for arranging this test as I felt that it cleared up any doubt that I have I may have had about the effect of network switches. Reading it again today, I am struck by how he highlights quote that differences are audible, but that they are small and sometimes very difficult to interpret. I had certainly ceased to recall this perspective after I went exploring recently. I trust that raising your awareness of his work in this realm will help you on your journey to discovery. Keep up the great work. Best wishes, Jason. Thank you, Jason. 
Um, thanks for sharing. And uh, I recommend that anyone that's checking out the Amir video at Audio Science Review also check out this report for, um, on Alpha Audio. So I'll have to check that out myself. I haven't checked it out. Yep. And it's um, just another tool or another, another step in this process of uh, trying to wrap our heads around what's going on. So appreciate the email, Jason, and thanks for listening. Um, all right. Our next question is about power regenerators. This one comes from Paul Willen. Hello, Darren and Duncan. <clears throat> my last question I sent into the show was about upgrading power cables for my M1200s. I upgraded the cables to the M1200s and experienced it for a day before I traded my M1200s for BHK300s. So yes, so these are both audio um, PS Audio products. And uh, for any new listeners, Darren is Senior Analog Design Engineer at PS Audio. So that's... Um, so we know Paul actually from... I know Paul from the forums, I believe. Um, so he says, yes, the M1200s benefited from the better power cable, but the system benefited more from uh, the cable and BHK300 upgrade. I believe that. Yeah. No offense to Darren's terrific M1200s, but the BHKs work better with my, um, what is it, Martin Logan CLX speakers. Mm-hmm. I love those speakers. The BHKs were the biggest upgrade to my system and at the time until I traded my P10, that's a power regenerator, to the music room for a P20. The P20 has raised the performance on everything and not by a little bit. The change has taken everything plugged into it to unexplainable levels. This is where I finally get to my question. What is the magic in the regenerators and specifically in the P20? The P10 was very good, but the P20 is so much better. I had all my sources plugged into the P10, a highly modified Oppo, an Arlec Aries G2, and a PS Audio PSD SECD transport. These three plugged into the P10. There was no doubt the PST was the best source by a noticeable difference with the Oppo and the Arlec behind. The three plugged into the P20 is a different story. The Oppo, the Arlec Aries G2, and the PST are almost impossible to tell apart. The BHK 300s sound like they were running. They were running at 80% on the P10, but on the P20, it's like they're supercharged. According to your favorite cable tuner and beta tester, Daryl. Oh, he's talking to me. Uh, the P20 does go to a different level with an Audio Quest Dragon and a Beeswax uh, Ultimate M1 Fuse. I think that's from Audio Magic. I love to hear your thoughts on the regenerator topic. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, so uh so the way that those are scaled uh those those uh the regenerators so we have the P12, the P15 and the P20 and the P12 is the smallest the smallest one of the bunch and the P20 is the the large regenerator. Um P15 the, is the new version of the P10. 10. 10. It's the last. That's line. right. Yeah, line. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And so the um, there were improvements uh, going from the previous generation to this generation, uh, but the let's just talk about the difference between say a P fifteen and a P twenty. Um, the difference is that there's only uh, there's more output transistors on the P twenty, um, and then there's also uh, more capacitance there. And so what's happening. 
And I, I agree that some of the largest differences are actually with power amplifiers on regens because, uh, you have an unregulated power supply on Mm. the power amplifier Mm. and, uh, basically the, the wall voltage is a, uh, is roughly reflected on that rail. And I say roughly because you have a capacitor bank. So you do have uh, energy that is stored there. Um, and, you know, some sort of regulation uh, taking place there. But it's still technically unregulated. Um, so when you add a power regen and you regulate that AC input, um, you're, you're, it's like adding a regulated power supply to the power amp. Yeah. So the what you'll notice is that the base will will uh, become uh, a lot tighter and faster, and um, it, it it possibly could sound. Uh, you know, when when you get a an improvement in base, and at first it almost seems seems leaner and seems like there's less base, but then you notice that no, it's just it's tighter and more accurate base, mm. and mm. that is what you will here when you first for instance go from a p15 to a p20 you get that jump if you go from a wall to a regen you get a massive leap Uh, but the p20 is the best at that especially when you're dealing with really large power amplifiers like the (coughs) bhk 300s i mean they can they can output over a thousand watts into two ohms so that's the okay. So that's the tiering of the fifteen to the twenty, <clears throat> which the chassis size is a significant um, step up as well. What about the P ten to the P twenty? Because I remember when you were you because you were working on the new generation of power generators. Yeah, like um, there's a lot of products that kind of have your name all over it because you're responsible for most of the circuit. But you were kind of like part of the team that was looking for ways to refresh that line. Yeah. I mean, I think a better thing, a better jump is P10 to P15. Oh, because it's a difficult leap to, well, I only mentioned the P10 to the P20 because that's Paul's experience and and it's such a wow for him. Yeah. You're probably describing, it's just going to be more dramatic. Yeah. Love the difference between the P15 and the P20. Just, even more dramatic if you go from p10 to p20 the technical difference is that you're even dealing with less capacitance less output devices in the p10 um versus going to the p15 there was some upgrade there um and then there was also some improvements done in how the the feedback and the amplifiers uh are um are implemented i i uh I improved uh, the the bandwidth of the rejection mm. uh, in the amplifiers. Of the so, common mode rejection? Uh, well, the, the power, the power supply, supply, yeah, the, the, input, the input rejection. Yeah. Um, so I did that by increasing the um, amount of feedback that is applied versus frequency. So uh, I made the, the amplifiers a little bit wider bandwidth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that that's a change that took place in that P10 to P15 jump. Uh, so you you get that, and then the P20 is just even more. Yeah, you right. know, um, 
even a larger power supply and a larger output stage than the the p uh the p15 yeah Can you say you lowered output distortion significantly between the two series or the the two um or maybe it was just the p that the fact that the p20 has got such a low one now that it compared to the last generation i improved i improved rejection gotcha yeah yeah um so yeah so that's that's what the differences are i agree the p20 is the best sounding one um out of all of them and i you know i really love the the regens um they they do uh they really complement power amplifiers Mm -hmm. and they 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 complement other gear too but but for me, a big power amplifiers, you must have a regen on, mm. on it. Yeah. Good stuff. So, well, Paul, yeah. thanks for, uh, thanks for writing, Paul. Really glad you're enjoying that and, um, best of luck and, and great, uh, happy listening over there. Thanks yeah. For, I'm thanks glad for, that you're enjoying your P20, Paul. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, thanks for, uh, writing us. He's having a great time. Okay. Uh, this week's last question comes to us from Grant, uh, Bayer about uh, preamps for Fleawatt tube amps. Hey guys, I am not sure if you've covered this topic before, so if so, I apologize, but I've been looking into various SET amplifiers, mostly 2A3, 45, or 300Bs. What I don't want to do is spend all this time and effort, and of course money, picking out a beautiful SET amp, highlighting one of these or another tubes just to overpower it and ruin its voice with a dominant preamplifier. So without having a treasure trove of preamplifiers to test out, how does one go about selecting a preamp that is meant for an SCT amp and will let it sing? Well, I'm curious about your opinion on this, Darren. I, I tend to take the perspective that the, the qualities that you, um, look for in a preamp in any system is is applicable to what you're talking about with only because my perspective is you always want a preamp that does nothing to the soundstage width depth and layering which i think is just this tap depends it's this house of cards, dude. The, the the center image plus the soundstage width, depth, and layering is all this house of cards just just reliant on phase correctness and on um, on th- on on noise re- reduction, right? So any preamp that you put into a serious system that does something to bring in the walls to that or or flatten that three D perspective is going to be bad. That's not what you look for. In fact, that's, that's preamp. Nobody, nobody needs. No, but there's, um, I think when you're dealing with the flea watt stuff, there is a element of synergy that might have to take place. Frequency um, synergy. What are you talking about? Overall, because like tonal and, and sonic synergy. Ton- tonal is kind of where I would think that it would be. Yes, and sonic synergy. Yeah. I mean, you know, in general, it would have to be something that I think complements the amplifier. And of course, we say set amps, but I hear set amps that are like radically different. So they don't have a specific sound necessarily. They, they're, 
they're all over the place. Um, don't necessarily so, have a specific like impedance need or anything like that that would make it. Oh, this type is better for a, an SCT amp because this SCT has got this load on the input. I, not not really. A lot of them are going to be pretty same, high. I mean, pre, especially it's normal. tube. It's tubed, so yeah. it's you know they get to set that on the input. You of just the grid. put a resistor <laughs> of your choice. Yeah, unless there. they're running class, you know, A two or something. I mean, no. So uh, they're going to have a hundred. Well, or hundred K or forty seven K or something like that. Right. Yeah. So it's it's gonna be high impedance the input of the uh of the set amp. So you don't have to worry about that. Most almost all preamps should be okay with uh anything between thirty three and a hundred K. Um you know, it's it, it is a question of synergy, but I would start with what is the amp, like lock down maybe the amp what is the amp and then you have to try to understand what that amp sounds like and um sure that is you know that's the game of of synergy with those it's with like those cooking. devices that's it's like cooking you get a sense for the character yeah. of the ingredients and then you kind of can intuit whether they work together based on yeah as a chef whether or not that would appeal to you and uh yeah so once those all the since once all the other stuff's out of the way like you know the preamps that you're looking at aren't aren't said by some to narrow the sound stage or anything like that. You know you kind of want to look for preamps with with reviews that uh, express that they are open sounding, but also uh, with a lack of coloration. Um, you know because, like you said, you're going through this process of of um, picking a an, an amplifier type that has as its as its strengths simplicity um but also to a degree something of a coloration um we've talked a lot about set amps and how you know different tubes can sound a little different and how a simple system not only is pleasing to us because it distorts simply this actually goes back to maybe our first episode ever Mm -hmm. maybe second yeah when we talked about this on this topic but um and there's beauty to that but then there's also the beauty of like stepping back and looking at the audiophile hobby as a whole and the idea that you've got you've got speakers that are selling out for efficiency, which means that they've got other characteristics that are compromises to get there. Um, meaning that there's likely some, some sort of coloration built into the system there. And that's why synergy is important. That's why synergy is so important with Mm. SCT amps and the efficient speakers. And then there's a preference on top of that. So, uh, I wish I had a better answer for you, but so it's either it's gonna be a journey. <laughs> completely neutral and does nothing to the soundstage width and depth, and so yeah. i.e. this is a preamp that's extraordinarily transparent. And there's stuff that is you know more neutral, and then there's stuff that's more colored, right? And so uh, yeah, right. you can start with uh, everything exactly. could be seen as you know it has some level of coloration, but some stuff. Mm-hmm. It does have less. A little more than that. Yeah, it has less yeah. or it has more. Right. Um, so, so you know, I mean, if you want something that is technically neutral, you could start off with a solid state preamp that is widely, you know, uh, highly regarded and then see where it goes from there. It's like, well, is it too forward and too clinical and analytical for your tastes? Like, okay, well, 
you know, you might have to go towards something that is known to be a little bit more, um, uh, you know, warmer and, uh, somewhat lower resolution, which can make listening to music more enjoyable and, uh, be more, uh, have more synergy with your amplifier. Uh, because the set amps I've heard, uh, they do vary a lot depending on the transformer that's used, uh, the tube that's used, how they're implementing all that. Uh, I've heard some set amps sound really like warm and kind of mid rangey where they didn't have great treble and they didn't Mm -hmm. have great bottom, but they had like a mid range that was interesting, uh, two sets that kind of sound more balanced across the range and actually were more neutral. Um, so it, yep. it, it varies, uh, just like any sort of amplifier topology, uh, you can kind of get sounds across the board. So, uh, you know, and to echo what you said, it's either you go for that neutrality or you select a coloration that is synergistic with the system that you're creating. Yeah. Um, one great example, I'm, I'm on the, the music rooms website and I'm just kind of like pawing through these different, you know, um, certified pre-owned you know preamps available uh one of them here for example is a denifrips it's a denifrips hades is the name of their preamplifier uh it doesn't have a lot of inputs maybe three looks like um and the description from the company that makes this denifrips themselves is quote chunky organic and slightly warm but with excellent depth perspective and really, amplifiers within this price range, I do think that the Hades is a better match with the majority of loudspeakers out there in terms of its sound signature. Do you okay. say chunky? That's what Denifrips calls it. Chunky, organic, and slightly warm. Okay, that goes down as one of the weirdest adjectives I've heard. For a preamplifier. Yeah, for a preamp. Chunky. Chunky? Yeah, bro. Chunky. I love that, actually. I really love that. It's silly. I haven't heard that one before. To call sound chunky, but I guess you can kind of, if you're on that, you know, you can kind of get to smell what they're stepping in, I guess. Yeah. If they're pairing it with chunky, organic, and slightly warm, you could be like, okay, I'm getting a feel for what. So then you think about the rest of your system. Okay, maybe I want to pair this preamp with some really clinical, ruthless amps. And maybe the combination of those two, they'll kind of highlight what each other does best. And you get this really detailed, but very involving and fun kind of presentation. That's that's interesting. I have not heard Chunky before. Chunky, man. So maybe (laughs) like the Denifrips preamp on a a pair of uh, Class D amps or something. You know, it's just this is the kind of thought process you go through, I guess. Yeah. So that's that's why actually you mentioned solid state, something that's well known as neutral. Maybe that would be a great pairing for the um for the expectation of some coloring from the SCT. Right? Could be. Yeah. So it's it's some alchemy, that's for sure. But uh yeah, he didn't mention his budget, so I can't really recommend anything beyond that. But I you know, it's just easy enough to just explain the thought process. This is how you go choosing a preamp, I think. Mm-hmm. So all right, Grant, thank you very much for that question. And um, and I hope that helped um, in your search here. Again, our our questions email is hi-fi at outlook.com. And uh, please send your questions on. We love them. So, all right. I think it's time for our topic. 
So let's get into... Oh, man. This is a silly topic. My upcoming project. Um, my half-day speaker build. <laughs> That's why... I, I've got some better like tools now, I think. So I think I can get it done in a half day. <laughs> I I believe you. Better tools. Uh, how and... quick you did it last time. So no distractions. So what what's what like spawned this project? Like what yeah. what uh how did it first start? So it started because I'd finally got an opportunity to listen to an array of BBC speakers. Um, through my mm. job at the music room as a testing technician and uh, evaluating and listening to all kinds of pieces of gear over the years. Like LS3s? There, there's a brief period of time where we got a bunch of different companies, LS3s. We got LS35As, LS35s. And so, you know, at one point, I think one day I had three of these on my desk, like Graham Acoustics, Falcon, mm-hmm. There's, um, who else does the BBC that's licensed? Um, trying to think there's a one that starts with a W. Um, but I had Rogers, there's Rogers. Exactly. Um, so I had a bunch of these or a few of these on a desk and I, I set them up well and I was just blown away by Mm. that experience of near field, immersive you get the right amp on them with plenty of juice um because the ls3 and the ls35a ls35 and the ls35a famously had a very complex crossover all through uh-huh. third order and just lots of parts on this crossover yep, it did so i'm enjoying this presentation knowing um with the context in my head of the the BBC, I'd done some research on Harbeth to try to understand the foundations of the speaker design in the BBC and the why of it and mm-hmm. why is it small? Well, it's trying to reproduce the voice most naturally because these were created as um, a monitor standard for BBC recording engineers all across the board. And, um, and so, yeah, and so... The I know all about the the lineage of these things, and so yeah, experiencing them really just sent me into this down this path of man. I should I should crank out a pair of these. Um, I've built speakers for since I was a kid, and I've built giant speakers. I've made um, Altec Lansing A7 replicas, um, which are just massive. I made, you know, I've made subwoofers of all kinds. I've made open baffle speakers. I've made tall quarter wave, uh, tapered quarter wave tube, you know, Paul Voigt designs. I've, you know, that are full range. I've done multi-way designs. I've done transmission line speakers that I've built before. Um, and so this looked like a project that I could really just knock out. Now, one of the things about something this small and packed with goodness is that there's a lot of moving parts for something that's so so kind of diminutive that you think like, oh, this is going to be a cinch. Um, I I I got into detail about how the BBC designed their LS three fives and the way that they braced them was interesting. Um, where this, and I don't know all the terms, the woodworking terms, but 
Um, basically every panel has this kind of brace structure that all kind of fits in together so that it ends up being fairly thicker than in, you know, at the corners than you would think that it would be. And, and it's, it's a really solid little box that you're making. Yeah. And then it's got, um, it's got some tar paper actually on this side inside yep. of them. Uh, some models are braced, uh, with a single brace, uh, and others are not. And the, the smaller model, like the LS threes, for instance, uh, are not braced at all. I was going to say, I made mine smaller than the LS three and the LS five. And because of that, the bracing needs go down even further, you know, cause I'm also using a smaller bit of a, I think maybe a smaller driver. Than those and they're one of the purposes of, like not making it too stiff is so that the resonance frequency of the cabinet isn't very high. It's to force it down. I believe they factor that into the the, the whole design of the thing, the yep. resonance of the cabinet. But that's is, why they wouldn't put an extra brace or something. Right. Or a modern speaker would, would, would have yeah. would have another brace or would, it would have internal bracing, uh, even if it was small. Uh, and that, if you add the brace, it it would actually increase the resonant frequency of the cabinet, which the BBC argued uh, it was better to keep it low and, uh, and controlled than it was to force it up into the band yeah. that is more audible. Yeah. Like, you know, one to three kilohertz. Great philosophy, I think, you know. And um, my, my thoughts about this were I have the drivers that I have, and so I th- I thought that I would make a cabinet that that looked like a a realistic size ratio for the woofer that I had based on the the kind of presentation of the three five and the LS three five A in terms of like not a lot of wasted space, um, actually making it as small as possible probably, and um, and I also used this this technique where you put the tweeter as close to the woofer as possible now i didn't do something that that i've seen steve deckert of deckware do in the past where you you actually carve a half circle Mm -hmm. out of the tweeter uh baffle so that you can cram it even further down next to the woofer Mm -hmm. so i knew that i would be listening near field on these so i knew i wanted them close um because you just don't want a lot of distance um, between those drivers. There can be comb filtering and 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 all that kind of stuff. And and if you're thinking about, you want those those lobes to kind of like coalesce near your head, so it's got to happen quickly. So it helps to have those their polar patterns close to each other. Um, yeah, and and the other thing that I did was I you know I I could have made it bigger, but making it small. Um, means that I think that all of these factors that come into play with speaker design um, at the high end, like diffraction and like bracing and like that kind of thing, I thought those would be relatively minimized the smaller the box I made. Um, Now, what's interesting about, and we kind of teased on this at the beginning, is that these things shouldn't sound as good as they do. Um, because I did nothing with diffraction. It's got real hard edges, you know, it's got hard corners. I didn't necessarily, no, I did. I remember trying to, trying to not be a hundred percent perfect with my placement of the tweeter above it, but essentially I'm, I'm still not like 
changing the distance. Some people will put a tweeter, a little offset on a cabinet so that the distance between the nearest edge in all directions of a tweeter is all four different uh, mm. measurements. It's a pretty small it's a pretty small baffle. It's so small. So, you know, the, the benefit of a small baffle is you get great imaging. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the downside of a small baffle is that you get the, no, you know, the baffle step, you know, no, you get no baffle steps. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're at a disadvantage in terms of woofer output versus tweeter output. Now you can build in a baffle step into it, or you can just pad the tweeter, which is what I did. I didn't build a baffle step into it. Well, the baffle step would be to 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 take the baffle down to take the the gain that's added down. Essentially, um, padding the tweeter is a baffle step. Yeah, is what you're. But you don't you don't need it. that as much because you have such a small baffle. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. absolutely tiny. Um, now, this kind of approach is interesting because we do a lot of talking about seven foot tall speakers on this podcast, you know, our Dunlobbies. And we talk a lot about scale and how about like, you know, and we've got your room set up with these Wilsons that are just huge. And here I am sitting in the, listening to these tiny little dinker speakers. Um, but the, the, the magic of, of integrating a sub perfectly with a pair of mini monitors like this is that, um, it is possible with a really excellent subwoofer and with with really pristine placement, especially placement the way I'm doing it, where I have a sub by my feet, so it takes the room out of the equation, it is possible to get a really full range sound and like a, a, a decent sense of scale from a very uh, improbable looking setup. Yeah, I you know it's still um, it's still very different from a full range speaker. The sound, um, um, the, yeah, but, it's very but, different. As I get them better, it inches closer to the same presentation, to a very similar presentation. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that's the goal. You know, like it's, it's. Well, it's um, one for me, because yeah. because I, I I want to be able to marry the fact that I'm looking at mini monitors to the fact that I feel confident that I'm listening to full range sound and that kind of thing. Yeah, I've never heard that before. Like a full range, like it sound like a full range speaker, and and you know there's. There's just uh, there's pluses and minuses there. Um, What's it? it? What do you oh, mean? I just what meant, do you mean like by a, it? I meant a monitor. I've never heard a monitor sound like a full range. Well, speaker. I'm making I mean, the it's... point that it it can't unless you really perfectly integrate the sub, and then it's possible if you have a really excellent sub. Yeah, I you know the lower you can cross over the sub, um, the well, better shot you got. I know, but it and I've listened to a million uh, sat subs in my life. You know, but this thing's different. That's my point. Is that is that I think it's different because I think the subwoofer is well, the subwoofer is state of the art for its for its price and and what it's doing. Its performance is unbelievable. I've got the Rel T nine X at my feet. Um, but but yeah, and and you know, this goes into the discussion of subwoofers and like not like so many different kinds of subwoofer subwoofers out there and levels of ability at the upper end of its of its spectrum subwoofer should you know nobody makes a subwoofer with the intention of anyone crossing it over at 120 hertz you know but i think i have my mind crossed over at about 70 maybe Mm -hmm. 
maybe 65. And, um, and so what I am doing is, yeah, it's not like a, a brick wall on the subwoofer's upper end. So it ends up being, um, a, a huge player in the eventual sound and it's doing a really good job at it is my point is, is, is there's different elements of this speaker setup that's improbable. And one of them to me is that, um, over time I've gotten the bass integration good enough that, that these, these speakers fool you in terms of where's the handoff. I, I don't even know if I can, you know, I can't hear the handoff. I'm, I was listening today to, to Brian Br- Bromberg's album wood and, um, just cranking that thing all day. And it's, it, this, the integration is seamless, which to me is, is just surprising. Most speaker makers, they wouldn't put out the product that I made. Um, I just saw an ad for some new calf bookshelves, uh, um, blanking on the, the model brand new, very uh, small mini monitor, but the woofer is still bigger than what I used. Right. Because people, people put out a mini monitor that looks like mine and nobody's going to buy, I'm like, nobody's going to buy that. Right. The woofer's too small. Things never going to make even close to enough bass. Right. And so, yeah, the, the monitor and sub thing though, sounds different than, you know, a full range speaker. Uh, that's something that, uh, it's hard to get your, your, your mind around why, why that is, but I just, I, I still find, and it's not that the monitor and sub is, is worse. It's just, they're just different experiences. They're mm. completely different experiences. Well, for me, I'm, I'm aiming to make the monitor, the mini monitor sound bigger than it is. Oh, it definitely does that. And, and the integration is awesome from the, the monitor down to the sub. It's, it's seamless. Now the, the, um, so what blows my mind about these speakers is, is this, is that you have a very simple crossover. Extraordinarily simple. This is the most incredible thing, uh, just in my opinion of the speakers is just how simple the crossover is. It is uh, first order, both the woofer and on the tweeter. And that is almost unheard of in a design like this. Yeah. You see people with first order on one, like the tweeter probably. Well, it depends on on the character of each driver. But you do, you do rarely see first order on both. It's mm-hmm. true. With no notches. Yeah. 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 Nothing. It's just, it's two crossover components. Yeah. And, and I, the crossover is very seamless. It is. Yeah. It's a good woofer. The woofer is really well behaved at high frequency. That's what that means. Yeah. Because a first order crossover rolls off at six dB per an octave. And so, uh, you have to start very early, but then, uh, if that woofer has any breakup characteristics or, uh, which is going to present itself in a peaking of response and high distortion, um, then you're going to hear that. Uh, also, if the woofer has directivity issues at high frequency, uh, which is you know mainly dominated by its its uh, size, which it's quite small, um, so that kind of probably takes care of the directivity aspect. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of like there's a lot of when you get into the game of using six dB 
per an octave crossovers, you can get into trouble really quickly. So yeah. it, it's amazing how, how, how incredible the, it's not like the crossover isn't good. It's great. Yeah. You know, it's and it's two components. Silly. Yeah. It's two components. It's I silly. mean, you compare that with the LS three, how many components of the LS three? Yeah, like 30. Yeah. yeah. It's like a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big yeah. old board. I actually saw that. I mean, I don't know. I can't be overly pretentious about that. I, I saw the 30 point piece crossover and I said, well, I don't want to do that. Um, and I thought for a while actually about DSPing the, the crossover Whoa. and listening to it and That'd just, cool. and, and then deciding where's the point I want to hit and, um, and then trying to analog that. Um, yeah, but the yeah. reason that I didn't is because I actually had a pair of mini monitor speakers kicking around um, that I got an inspiration from in terms of crossover point. And then I started with that crossover point, and then I changed slightly the value of the tweeter, I believe, to pull, do, do your trick where I pulled it apart a little bit. And then you came over, we actually had a podcast probably 15 20 podcasts ago where um you came over and you said oh, i wonder if we um if we if we add one more mic of capacitance to the tweeter what does that do does that lower it i can't remember or raise it uh, a mic on the on the tweeter on the tweeter so it's gonna it's gonna lower it's gonna offer um it's gonna lower that crossover lower point. it be, oh what you're on doing, the high pass you were listening and you said there's a little bit of a gap here where there's some kind of like it's this like the crack of a snare drum is almost like a little bit underrepresented here and and also the high the high high frequency is a is a little bit um forward so what if you added a mic and then added a small resistor to bring it down bring yeah. it down bring a little that brings in the lower end of the tweeter a little bit more so i had on hand uh, a whole bunch and i still have bunch uh but just one mic rel ppt so polypropylene and tin very very excellent um film capacitors and so i added a mic and i also had on hand um extra pair of 0.33 ohm um power resistors you know for the tweeter so it i just i had all the gear i ended up knocking this out and um that was the final piece to the puzzle that are these speakers in terms of helping them disappear and helping them be the type of speakers where every single equipment component change or cabling change or anything I do to the system um, that's positive only increases their performance. So mm -hmm. there's just still haven't hit the ceiling. Um, so anyway, that's, that's the genesis of the, of the build. And it's one of these things where, as long as I've been alive or just tinkering with stuff. So since, an, since a very young kid, if I get my head around something, um, there, it's hard to describe the way that this mo certain motivation feels in my body, but it's, it's a, it's a stronger drive than almost anything else that I, that I have about my personality and, and my, and the way that I am. It's this thing that I've, I've noticed when I was a kid that I always wished that I could like apply this 
um, obsession that I would have over accomplishing something to things that were presented to me as like in school or I had to do this. And if I, you know, I was never, I was never good at applying this kind of manic, like focus to anything that helped me out, like in terms of, um, you know, for my future growing up, but I could always, uh, count on this level of obsession for the things I was interested in, like, like audiophile stuff. So I get this drive and I just go and then I don't stop until it's done. And that's why it took a day or day and a half. (laughs) So, uh, tell us a little bit about the drivers that you used. So the tweeters on the speaker of mine, um, are nothing that special. They are, um, soft dome, uh, one inch, um, fabric dome tweeters. And they're made by, I want to say peerless, but I honestly think it might, they actually might be Audax. Um, Mm. because Audax had a, a, a tweeter design that John Dunlavy was using, but I pulled both of these out of Dunlavy speakers and, um, they might both be peerless. I don't know, but they were my old tweeters from my Dunlavy SC threes. Um, I ordered the upgrade replacements from Mattisound or not upgrade, just straight across the board replacements. So I had these kicking around <clears throat> and then I had this box of drivers that I'd come across, um, you know, working at the music room, you see a lot of stuff come in, um, and not everything is is exactly fits the mold of what we sell online so a box full of unused sample woofers from a manufacturer in china basically that's that's kind of like unmarked where's that gonna go oh let's give it to duncan you know like that's how i've gotten like so much stuff over the years like bags of rel caps and stuff like that it's just like it, it, it might be included in something that someone sent in but um, you know, we've got specific things that we do and sell. And so this kind of thing is, is a little less that. So yeah, I found myself with a box of six to eight of these things. Gosh, you're like four inch drivers. They're real small, mm-hmm. you know, that's and perfect. That's, that's why you can get away with that directivity up top. Exactly. That's why yeah. if it has a very, fairly benign breakup, um, when it and the tweeter are overlapping, if it's, if it's, so small like it is three and a half inches or four inches um the polar patterns aren't going to be wildly different you know at that at those ranges mm-hmm. so that's why you're you know that's the ex- explanation for a lack of of confusing confusion created by like a mismatch of polar patterns with two drivers playing the same frequency so that's interesting and that's 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 something to take with you to remember you know that that the, having a smaller mid range um yes it won't make bass and so you got to figure that out but what it will do is is it will it will hand off quite well to the next driver up the line yeah you have like a better directivity match with the tweeter and that's actually why uh you know there 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 are uh, waveguides on tweeters to to then at low frequency uh, actually create directivity on the tweeter to somewhat hopefully match the directivity of the mid range up top. 
Um, so let's talk about yeah. the, the where we're going next, like the project. I mean, the topic du jour. Because these tweeters that you just gave me, which I'm holding holding one of my hands right now, mm-hmm. uh, has a little bit of a waveguide incorporated into it already. Yeah, it does. Um, you know, compared to the other tweeters that I'm using. That's, yep. That's a little more of a waveguide. It is. So that's a start. Um, and what, what are these tweeters? It's, it says it on the back there. Should it? These are made in Norway. That's all it says. So it's the this is the T twenty five, Cios Excel. Excel. So this is a a very nice tweeter, um, and uh, and you say this is yeah. the same tweeter they use the Harbeth uses in the forty point three. Right? That's right. Excel. Yep. Yep. Harbeth oh. like uh, orders it, you know specifically specifically from them and gets them matched and sure has some modifications uh like the the grill that's over at the front of them oh but, good point yeah but that's uh but so other awesome. than that that's uh that's pretty much that's the tweeter i can't yeah. wait so yeah. so now it's it's just like well well geez what do i do here because part of the reason you gave me these tweeters is you're thinking to yourself man what if we put those that level of tweeter on this box yeah i I really want to hear it so the question to me is do i do exactly the same thing build exactly the same box and then do exactly the same speaker but with these tweeters without the itch gosh i would start itching to like put mundorf mundorf silver gold wire in there Mm -hmm. like i did or or in like dual on silver silver graphite resistors and or or those m resist from mundorf the m resist ultra resistors with their own heat sinks does look cool well you would just need one i know i just need one in in each speaker well right now i have a series of like three or something on each tweeter it's silly it shouldn't sound this good (laughs) it's good they're all dayton's you know dayton audio so i can't wait for this uh this new speaker project um so I'm yeah, excited. so the question is, do I do that or do I do, gosh, one of these days, you know what I want to do is do one of those layer speakers where mm-hmm. you cut everything else from a jigsaw. I mean, I, ideally I'd have a CNC, so I wouldn't have to do all this labor, but I don't have a CNC. So I figure, you know, like, um, where, where you can kind of like make it shaped whatever you want because you're doing it in stacked layers. Yep. Um, there's plenty of of speaker makers out there that do this kind of thing. What kind of shape would you go for? I think I would go for something similar to our DM ones where like a teardrop almost. Yeah. Teardrop. Yeah. yeah. Something mm-hmm. like, or, you know, airfoil or something looking at it from above. Um, yeah. Rounded si- sides. Um, you know, think a little more about diffraction is what I would think. And I, I, I've been sitting and kind of daydreaming thinking about, well, what if I, piled up um clay or something in shapes around the sides so that i can make the whole thing bulbous and there's no sharp edges and then i like carve out some things here i mean there's mm. just so many options you know do i really tackle this diffraction thing like head on or or do i um yeah and, and do i try to keep the same the same cavity size it's such a small speaker that i made but I think what I'm going to do, because I've got this chop saw that makes really straight cuts, and my goal is, of course, half a day, you know, because, you know, you just got to gotta beat your personal best, you know, got to do, 
mm-hmm. what she's going to do. Um, I think I'm just going to make the exact same speaker and try to do that. So we'll see. Yeah, I think it's a lot of work. A, it'd be a pretty cool exercise. Gosh, it's a lot more work than it looks like. Like getting oh, those right, braces yeah. all in place and getting all the the lines and marks and getting everything chopped. Mm. But it's going to be so much more straightforward with this, uh, this chop saw I got. So, mm. yeah, my father-in-law is a great gift. Uh, it's like a Christmas gift. Got me a double bevel mitering chop saw from DeWalt. And it's awesome. You know, so... So the advantage of starting, I mean, it pretty much starting uh, or copying the last design is that you you can start off with the same inductor value on the woofer. 0.11 millihenries, baby. And and then start to uh, start to blend that tweeter in and work on getting that tweeter right because it will be... Be a little different. You know, different, yep. yeah. Yeah, we'll have to see that, feel that out. Cool. I, I I can't wait. Um, I am going to go to the nines with everything. So I'm going to do crazy wiring, but either Mundar or silver gold or that really nice dual end silver ribbon. That's a, more expensive than just the silver um, cable that they sell. They sell like a silver wire that I love, by the way, 26 gauge cotton and oil jacket. But this ribbon series of, of wires that they sell is like, you know, different gauge and thickness, but it's covered in uh, silk uh, coated in oil and um, some very, very great ears that I trust. Uh, really appreciate silk, actually, the sound of silk as a dielectric uh, over cotton, even. And cotton's great. So, you know, I'm going to do stuff like that. Could be the Mundorf silver gold. I don't know. I, I, I'm kind of in love with the Mundorf silver gold, so I might do that, but I'm going to do the best resistors. Um, I might have to even just do a shootout between the Duolund and the uh, M-Resist Ultra. Um, and then inductor-wise, I think I actually might go flat ribbon Mundorf this time. Like, I don't know. You know, because I did air core for the ones that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just straight straightforward air core inductors. But um, at that small value, you know, I might just chuck a a, a big old... I don't know, probably a 14 gauge Mundor flat. flat yeah, the DCR might be slightly different, so keep that in mind. It's going to be different. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but I, you know, how do you know until you do it and try it? Well, you can, yeah. you can. I mean, measure the DCR. Well, I can measure the DCR, but I mean, how how do you know how it'll how it'll sound until you try? It? Well, I'm just saying to start off with where you were before, but. I guess it's it's not necessarily that You'd important. rather that? Yeah, I know. It's, it's not that important because you're bringing in a tweeter that has different sensitivity anyways. So you're throwing... The relative sensitivity doesn't matter. Yeah, and that, and that won't change the perspective as much as it... It, it won't change the performance of the woofer too much. Yeah, I mean, any, any kind of change in DCR. Um, yeah, so... You know, lots of possibilities. I remember you gave me WTB bindings, WBT bindings uh, that were that were gold plated. So I'll have to replicate those and get some good bindings, uh, binding posts on there. But so anyway, that's that's it. Uh, nice. You know, it's going to evolve, so I'll, I'll keep updating folks and um, <laughs> try to do a little better job of finishing the speakers. I I would. I would do more in terms of showing off my 
desktop rig or my desktop speakers in general if they looked if they looked better. So I think this oh, next pair. But they sound amazing. I know it's you like did such a good job. That's all you and them. I care about. So it's like I don't even I don't even yeah. see that. I, I see it as character. I mean, when I see them, I'm just like, this is unbelievable. I mean, yeah, it yeah. shouldn't be what it is. Yeah, and, these and are. It's kind of funny that it is what it is. Yeah, it's they're they're sleepers. That's I'm, what they are. I'm they're just sleepers. loving it. They're yeah. absolute sleepers. Yeah. All right, well, that's enough about that uh, topic. And so um, you'll have to follow along with us and with me. Um, I, I'm hoping to get to this in the next week or two. So we'll we'll get started on that. Um, very excited. So, um, All right. This brings us to the, the album, album of, of the, the week. week. All right. You brought this one to me, and it's great. Um, you've been just geeking on this. Yeah, album. I've been geeking. Yep. You can't let it go, and and I'm so glad. And I actually put it on repeat today, and I was I was I probably listened to it three or four times today <laughs> um, while I was working. And so yeah, it's it's really nice. It's so good. It um, is. So it's a it's different kind of a uh, little bit of a toss up genre wise, but yep, um, bit of a pr- Brazilian traditions uh, genre. I would yep. say. Latin um, samba kind of yeah like deal Latin influenced jazz. So this comes from a, a guitar player named Fabiano do Nascimento. Nas, yes, Nascimento. I, I, we're gonna butcher this some of these uh, yeah. pronunciations. So my, please uh, bear with us. My Portuguese isn't exactly great. Indeed, uh, this is Fabiano's. Actually, the the one that we've been listening to so much, because Fabiano does have more recent albums, but this is his debut album, um, debut uh, long play, his debut LP, uh, called Danza Dos Tempos. Um, it's just amazing. So he's a uh, he's a flamenco guitarist, um, and there's a percussionist on this album um, that's just got a huge lineage in an era, uh, a great reputation in the, um, in the genre of being, uh, amazing, uh, Ayrton Moreira. And apparently it was Ayrton Moreira's first album project in over 10 years, uh, this album. Um, and then there's a, a drummer, um, on here. Where's the, who's the drummer? Flora Purim. No, sorry, that was um, Morera's wife. Where's the drummer? Um, Ricardo Tiki Pasillas. Uh, so, as always, we're going to have this album on our website, www.thehifipodcast.net. Um, we're going to have that on the front page. We're going to have that on the albums page. Let's talk about how this sounds, because it is a bit unique in terms of most audiophile recommendations that we send to, to you guys have kind of follow a similar uh, presentation. Strong center image, great soundstage, open recording. Now, this is different, right? Because it's open recording, but it's one of these old school recording styles of pushing these instruments over to this side, having these instruments over to this side. Mm-hmm. So there's, it's yep, what's interesting. It's like this, this fascinating thing where it's it's coming from the speakers, but the speakers are disappearing. 
some stuff is coming from the speakers. But but, but then, it's directionally then they, they near have the, the they have the center open and the center there's stuff that comes in shakers come in the center. That's true. And then uh, voices come in the center and so they it's an interesting way the way that it's it's interesting. I'm glad you brought that up because the way that it's mixed is unique. Yeah, that's why. But it's great. It suits yeah. the music and yeah. it it gives this kind of like um almost classical feel yeah to, to the album yeah but then i love the space in the center um yeah. that's carrying all the reverb basically in yeah no, yeah like, and all no the other center stuff. vocal oh I, there is oh oh oh, oh you, yeah you're right the the center the the mm-hmm. vocalist there so there's a couple of vocalists with a lot of depth too it's really um, nice it's a it's a largely instrumental album but there mm-hmm. are uh there are songs with vocals on them and singers yep. Um, there's two people that sing. Actually, Fabiana is one of the singers, and then uh, Kana Sh- uh, Shimanuki is the other singer. And there's so right. shakers that go on in the in the center and stuff like that. And then well, I really love the way that the drums are recorded. Mm. It actually sounds like a drum kit, and the the percussion is uh, like, for instance, the higher toms, the smaller toms are uh are really realistic it sounds like a drum kit in a room like a little bit of, of what uh, uh one of our podcast question uh listeners sending a question to us a couple weeks ago was asking about so why are drums spread out so much why is why is piano spread out so much but i can get a pinpoint of where that violinist is and i have a pinpoint of where that guitarist is and um you know, one of the things I, I wish I had said in response to that thing at the time was the density of sound coming from a drum kit is different than from a flamenco guitar. The density of sound from a piano is much different than, you know, a flute that's just there. So um, that's why, in, te- in general, the presentations are more spread out. But in this regard, I feel like you you get a sense of being in a room with drums where you can kind of local locate the drum kit and it's all coming from there. Yeah. One one of the things I was trying to um to to explain was that you, it sounds like some of these sounds are coming from the speakers, but then when you focus that they're not. They're they're just off of the speakers, right? If you have your eyes closed, yeah, they're they're over bit. there. Also, but they're not they're not actually locked to the speakers. If you open your eyes after closing your eyes, you're like, oh well, it's kind of like right there. It's not exactly right there. That's you know only I mean? some parts of the album. Yes, but those like, are the things a lot that of, stand out to me. There's as a the lot of engine. parts in this where there's center guitar. Well, okay, that's that's, uh, that's like true. for instance yeah. on um, so. on track number four. There's center guitar, um, and uh, I like track I, I, three. I like by the two, way, I like two. You like two. I like two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> nine, ten, and eleven. The last three tracks yeah, on great. this album are bangers. I mean, they are guaranteed awesome. Yeah. I mean, um, n- number nine, the the third from the last is is a full band, and so you get this you get like a lot going on and a lot of mm-hmm. instruments and you get great mixing and the whole thing is just adorable. And then the last two tracks are a little bit more just guitar and percussion. Yeah. And, and when they do that, that's when it splits up. That's when, when it splits per- up. When they have like the percussion and, and the guitar, that's where the guitar might go on one to the side, one yeah. side. And yeah. then, yeah. 
So um, crazy good album. So yeah, it's a great album. I really enjoy Very it. And then recording. He actually was on uh, Tiny Desk uh, recently. So uh, check out that Tiny Desk because it's a different vibe than this album, which was his debut album. And uh, and I really like. I, I haven't fully digested the Tiny Desk, but I really like what I yeah. heard. Yeah. Um, so Killer. check that out. So that's Fabiano Nascimento, last name Nascimento, N-A-S-C-I-M-E-N-T-O. As always, we'll have that on our website, www.thehifipodcast.net. We'll have it on our albums page going forward as well. And I hope you all enjoy that album. Thank you for that recommendation, Darren. But with that, this has been another episode of the Hi-Fi Podcast with Darren Duncan. I'm Duncan. I'm Darren. And we'll catch you next week. All right, see you guys. Bye. The Hi-Fi Podcast with Darren and Duncan is produced by Darren Myers and Duncan Taylor and is copyright 2020 of Slope Productions. The intro and outro music is provided by Denver's Color Red Studios and features the song Bangs by the band Many Colors.